Thank you, Robin. All right, let's go back, 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 back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter 18, this evening, Genesis chapter 18, as we're continuing looking at the life of the man who was called a friend of God. What a title. He is the father of our faith. Father Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of him, one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Genesis chapter 18 this evening and start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and sat, he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Amen about that. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself towards the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will fetch a morsel of bread and some comfort ye your hearts. After that ye shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran into the herd and, and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man, and he hastened to dress it. He took butter and milk and calf, which he had dressed, and set it before them and stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. I'm getting hungry myself. Verse 9, they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after a manner of women. Wherefore Sarah laughed within her, with herself, saying, I, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, so shall I of a surety bear a child which I am old. Is anything hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, but she, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Verse 16, The men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went, Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a man, mighty action, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have, have done altogether according to the, to the cry of it which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men returned their faces from thence and went forward toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew, drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse 24, Peradventure, there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy them and spare not the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? And be not far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked and the righteous that should be should be as the wicked and be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth be right? The Lord said, If I find in the Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the, all the place for their sakes. 
And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Reventure there shall lack, shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? He said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. He spake unto him again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. He said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak peradventure. There shall, there shall thirty be found. He said, I will not do it for, thir for thirty there. He said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. He said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will let, I will yet speak yet, but this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way, and as soon as he had left communion with Abraham, Abraham returned into his place. Father, we thank you for this opportunity one more time to look into your word. How precious it is to us. Lord, we know this is not a myth. It's not a fantasy. It's not a, it's not a tale. It's the truth found in the word of God. We can stand upon it. Lord, we can, we can glean some principles from this true account that happened thousands of years ago to help us in our lives to grow our relationship with you. Help us to see them tonight. Help us to see them, and not only to see them, but to do them. Give us ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, we know at this time, Lot had chosen, unfortunately, to go down to Sodom with his family. He'd chosen the place that was popular. He chose the place that was well-watered. He cho chose the place that looked the best, looked the nice. And as I've said before, I'll say it again, all that, is, all that, is, that glitters is not gold. Just because it looks right, just like it sounds right, just, just because it may seem right doesn't mean it is right. You have to be careful what decisions you make in life because you are the sum of the, your decisions. I know many a person, leave an area, leave a church, and now they are squandering not living for God and not going to church. All because they made a decision. Some of it was financial decision. They thought they'd make more money. More money is not the end of all ends, friends. Some people think, well, that, that's everything. If I just make more money, my life would be better. No. <laughs> the richest person in the whole world wants a little bit more money. <laughs> it's not all about money. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong to have money. The problem is that the money has you problem and he was looking after the temporal things lot chose foolishly as we looked in the past abraham gave him a choice and he chose foolishly now we see these three these as brother pete mentioned this morning in his Sunday school class he mentioned this passage actually specifically we see these three men one of them i believe being a christophany uh, a pre-existent appearance of the lord jesus christ he's coming to speak to Abraham. So what do we learn, learn about Abraham in this passage of scripture? First of all, the serving by Abraham. The serving by Abraham. This is a time in, in Abraham's life where he really began to shine. The days of Hagar are over. The days of going to Egypt are over. If you're ever going to live for Jesus, folks, best live it in the end of your life when you're pretty close going to meet him. If we're ever going, we should live for Jesus at all times, but if if you're ever going to live for Jesus, I hope by the, the grace of God that all of us chooses to end well in our life. Abraham 
ended well. He made some mistakes. As we've talked about, Hagar was a horrible decision. Going out into Egypt was a hor- horrible decision. Some of the conversations and directions he had with his wife and listening to her was, was, a, was bad, was, was, was wrong. But thank God you can make bad decisions in the past and still end up living for Jesus. And I encourage us all to, by the grace of God, to do that. We see him to this, this evening, we see the serving of Abraham, the serving of him. We see that his, the Savior of his service, that the Lord, in verse 1 and 2, appeared unto him. These three men, God in three persons, one of being Jesus Christ, as I mentioned, visited Lot. He saw these men. He recognized there was something about them that was different. It was the heat of the day, like a, I can imagine, like a hot day like today. It was a hot day today. It still is hot out there. He's in his tent. There's no AC, folks. There's no AC and no AC man coming. He's in the, he's in the fold of his tent trying to catch a, a little breeze in that, that, dare, that, that dusty uh, place of, in Canaan land. And he sees these three men come up, maybe thinks it for himself, looks maybe twice. Remember, he's at this time about 100 years old. His eyes are not what they used to be. And he looks up and maybe, maybe blinks once, maybe blinks twice, maybe blinks a th- third time. And he sees these men coming his, on his way towards them. The, uh, and he decides to do something about it. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know the Bible tells us to be kind to every person. Be kind one to another. Tender hearted. We should be, be kind to any, any person. It, not just people who are saved, but any human being. Every person is made in the image of God. Whether you like them or not, whether you disagree with them or not, they're all made in the image of God. We shouldn't be looking for enemies. We should try to be helping out everybody. If anybody helps Christians, uh, other people, it should be Christians. Amen? He saw these three men. Maybe he didn't know everything about them. Maybe he noticed maybe something unique about them as they sure, surely as the closer they did, the more unique they looked. Uh, different probably than the clientele he saw around his place currently. So we see the Savior of his service, but secondly, the swiftness in his service. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and he saw them. He ran to meet them. He didn't kind of say, well, just another three folks. I think I better go out there and see what they think. (laughs) He didn't slumber out there. He didn't slouch out there. Here's this 100-year-old man. He runs out there. Wow. He hastens. Laziness is a terrible vice. We live in the land of the lazy. We live in the land of the lazy, and it's affecting even Christianity today. I told you we was at a motel just for about two nights. Got there, went, went Wednesday night, stayed Thursday night, came back. We had a, one of the things you, you're supposed to read the rules and regs of the place that you're staying at. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. So I read rules of rules of regs of what you know how you're supposed to leave the room, and it said in the in the information at the end you're supposed to gather up all your trash and take it to the very end of the property where there's a dumpster. You throw your trash in there. Makes sense. Somebody had gathered all the trash of their whole place and stuck it by the trash can right outside their door. How lazy is that? Let's see. That's just a picture, an illustration of what's going on in our country, what's going on in the world. It really is. When the number of people who won't work grows larger than the people who will work, we're in trouble. And that's where we're at right now. We're coming to a tipping point where there's people who can work, 
They're just too lazy to work. And God forbid, friend, if that's one of you, I, I, I feel bad for you when you stand before Jesus Christ. Because it's not going to be a happy day for you. It's not going to be a happy day. You want to get rewards. You don't want to lose all your rewards. We see the swiftness of his service, but his submission in his service. He ran to meet them, bowed himself down to the ground, called himself thy servant. I will fetch thee a morsel of bread. Wow, we see his humility, his submission. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, Master is given to yourself servants, which is just and equal, knowing that you shall also have a master in heaven. Mark chapter 10, verse 44, what Jesus said, Whoever shall be the, of you will be the chiefest, shall be the servant of all. We've talked about this over and over. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, don't look to be the first. Look to be the least. Look to be the person who serves. Look, look, look to be the person who takes the initiative. We need more people with more initiative. It's like when you see a piece of trash out there on the ground. See, folks, this isn't my church. This is our church. If you see the grass needs to cut, say, preacher, who, who's doing it? How about I volunteer? Or somebody needs to do the nursery. Oh, I, I, I volunteer. Or I want to sing in a choir. Oh, I'll volunteer. Don't wait till somebody comes, taps you on the shoulder. Brother, friend, just volunteer. Just hasten to it. What can I do to serve Jesus? It's not what the God can do for you. What can you do for God? God's done so much for you already. What can you do for him? What are you looking to do for him? It's said that a person is defined by three things in their life. How they get up, how they walk, and how they talk. How does that define you? How a person gets up in the morning, how he walks, and how he talks says a whole lot about a person. How does that define you? Are you, are you a person who's submissive, just looking to help other people, to be a servant to other people? Are you looking for people always to serve you? We see his submission in service, his swiftness in service, but fourthly, his soundness in his service. He said, my Lord, just a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves around the tree. We'll fetch a morsel of bread, comfort ye your hearts. Comfort ye your hearts. He wanted to take care of them. He wanted to make sure everything was done just right. He wanted to sure make sure he, was, he cared about them. He desired to help them. His whole focus was not on himself or his, his hurts or his pains or his age or his, his leadership or his authority. It was all focused on providing the needs for other people. Oftentimes you go through social media and you see people that say, no one wants to spend any time with me. No one wants to do anything with me. No one likes me. I think I'll just eat a can of worms. That's the mentality of so many people. Booker T. Washington, I love his quotes. The happiest people are those who do the most for others. The most miserable people are those who do the least. If you want to lift yourself up, lift someone else up. You see, friend, the whole world says, focus on me, focus on me, selfie, look at me, watch me, video me, tape me. They are the most miserable people in the world because it's all about me. 
it's all about you, you will be miserable. But when you quit looking at you and start helping other people, you'll quit be focusing on your problems, your pain, your suffering, your disappointments, your discouragement, your past, your problems, your politics, and you'll start focusing on that which is good and right and true. Oh, how different it'll be if you'll choose that aspect of life. Proverbs 18, 24, man must have friends, must show himself friendly. A reason why a person doesn't have a whole lot is because he doesn't choose to do that for other people. I'll tell you how you have friends. After church, go around and say, hey, you want to go out to eat? That's like saying, sick them to a bulldog for a Baptist. You have four or five folks want to go out to eat with you. Hey, just say, hey, you want to do something? You want to go get something to eat? Go get a coffee? Go get some ice cream? Talk to them. And you're not doing it just for food's sake, but for fellowship's sake, for encouragement's sake. I did that just, just last night. I called a text to the preacher. Hey, preacher, you want to get together? Just, just for fellowship, not to talk about who's doing what, but just for encouragement. We all need that. We all need that. Fifth, the sacrifice of a service. He, he fetched a, a, calf, a calf tender and good. Anytime you do something for the Lord, it's going to mean sacrifice. Anytime you do something for Jesus, to the degree of your sacrifice is to the degree of your usefulness. So, why, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of busy. Well, Jesus was willing to come and die on the old cross for you so you could have everlasting life. He wants us to take our time. He wants us to take our talent. He wants us to take our treasure and use it for him. He was six. He was steadfast in his service. He stood by them by the tree and did eat. He didn't just say, okay, here it is. Now I got to go. He said, no, I'm going to sit while you folks are eating. I'm going to take care of you and make sure everything is right. I'm going to stand here and I'm going I'm, I'm to take care of you. It is refreshing in this world in any situation to find people who actually care about what they do. I mean care about what they do. In a restaurant to find a waitress who actually cares about what she's doing. At, the, at a hospital. To find people who actually care about what they do. Dear friend, if you've been working somewhere for a long time, it's easy to get through, get through the situation or just going through the motions. Don't be that type of person. If you're going to be that type of person, don't ask somebody to come to church with you. Don't, if you're just going to be the kind of person who just goes through the motions and just kind of show up, you, put, you, you, you check in at 8 and you get out at 5, but you just look at every, you've looked at that clock about 100 times, please don't invite them to church. Please don't invite them. Don't do it because you, friend, are not the type of person that people ought to be seeing as an example of Jesus Christ. We don't need any more of that. Dear friend, we, wanna, we ought to have Christians who get there early, who, care, who go to the boss and say, what can I do for you? And when they get up, you help them get up because they just fainted. Because, see, the whole mentality of the whole world is what, what job can you do for me? See, if you do more than what they ask you to do, before long, they'll pay you more than what you're actually worth. New concept. Instead of the mentality is, oh, I just go out there and do the minimum. No, go out there and do the best. Dear friend, I'm not doing this for eye service. I'm doing this for Jesus Christ. I'm not doing this for a paycheck. I'm not doing this for the applause of men. i got to stand before Christ one day. How about you? You do. Abraham cared about these men. He wanted, he wanted to... 
he wanted to show his love and respect. He stayed with him. It wasn't a job. It wasn't a duty. It wasn't a have to. It was a want to. Is that your attitude about tomorrow morning about 8 o'clock? Or you roll out of bed and give yourself a hundred reasons why you shouldn't go to work. You're trying to think of an excuse to give your boss again why you don't want to be there. You say, well, preacher, if you only knew how they treated me. No, friend, don't go through the whole litany of how they treated you. How do they treat Jesus Christ and he still did right? Amen. You choose to do right every day. It's your attitude. Your attitude, as I've said before, is more important than your aptitude. Because it determines your altitude. How's your attitude? I love to go to pl- good peace places. I worked here, I went to a, a doctor's office one recently, not too long ago, a place that did medical things. And one guy, he was just walking around. You could tell he'd been there for a long time. He didn't want to deal with anything. He didn't want to help nobody. He helped me for a little bit. And I could say he was just frustrated. There was a young lady in there. She was a go-getter. She cared. And afterward, I stopped her and I said, Thank you for your service. At the end of the day, would somebody come to you and say, thank you for your service? Even if you don't work for Chick-fil-A. No, man, people ought to look at your life and say, man, that person's a go-getter. There's a couple restaurants I go to around here, not just down the road, that I notice people, not just the server, but the boys, bus, bus boy. Or somebody else in the work, a manager who's hustling, who's trying. And I always try to stop and thank that person because I appreciate their hard work. Do you appreciate it? You ought to appreciate it in other people. But my friend, you shouldn't just appreciate it in other people. You should live like it in your life. Live that way in your life. So we see the serving of Abraham, but then the son of Abraham, verses 9 through 15. We see the message about the son. The message of the son, they said in verse 9, and they said unto him, where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, behold in the tent. You know it's the responsibility of every spouse is to know the spiritual, emotional, and physical condition of your husband or wife. You should know what that is. Man, do you know if your wife is reading the Bible or not? Do you know that? Husband, do you know if your wife is reading the Bible? Have you asked them? Have you asked them, are they saved? But you might well start with that. <laughs> are they reading the Bible? Are they right with God? How are they doing spiritually? You say, that's personal. Friend, if a married couple can't talk about stuff like that, what can they talk about? That should be a regular, hey, how you, where are you at in your Bible reading? What, what, what's on your prayer list? How can I pray for you? What are you struggling with? How can I help you? What can I do for you this week? Be a wise thing, men, to say to your wife, dear, dear wife, what can I help you with this week? And when she wakes up from falling down, you help her back up, put her in the chair, and say, now I say it again, what can I do for you this week? Can I help you with the laundry? Can I help you with the dishes? Is there anything I can do for you? Can I buy you something on Amazon? I'll just press the button. I'll be there tomorrow. What do you need? Dear men, you said, that's how we should, should be. If husbands and wives don't take care of each other, who will? Amen? And also with our children. We ought to know that our children are reading the Bible. Parents, ask your kids, what are you reading? Help them. Do you understand what you're reading? Hey, they get in Ezekiel. It might be a little difficult. 
They get in Isaiah, Jeremiah, might be, that might have a little struggle. Struggle. They get in Malachi and Micah, it might be a little temp- difficult. Guide them. Don't just say, we'll just open the Bible and read it. No, help them. Give them some, give them some instruction. Give them some guidance. Get, if they ask questions, take time. Turn the TV off and take time to help, encourage, strengthen. <clears throat> there was an inquiry about the, before the message. There was information in the message. I will certainly return to thee according to the time of life. Lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. He says, the certainty of the son. I will certainly return, return to thee. And even gives the calendar of the son. When is this going to happen? According to the time of life. <laughs> About a year from now, nine months less. It ceased to be with Sarah for the manner of women. So we see this message, but the mocking about the son. <laughs> what did Sarah, how did she respond? Well, it says in verse 12, Sarah laughed within herself saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? And my Lord, uh, my Lord being old also? Basically, how is this going to work? This don't jihad. That's, that's the southern slang for all that. That don't work. This is this. this to you, you see how old he is? He's 100. I'm 90. This ain't going to happen. Okay? I know, I, know you, I know you say who you are, but practically speaking, this does not make sense. She was laughing. Not only that, she was limiting. We limit God all the time, don't we? There's no way that can happen. We think to ourselves, there's no way. God can't answer that prayer. God can't meet that need. Well, dear friend, if you say God can't, he won't. If you go into a prayer saying God can't, he won't. He won't. Because you have to have the prayer of faith, nothing wavering. She was, she was mocking him. You see the, the laughing and the mocking, the limiting and the mocking, the learning about the mocking. It says in verse 13, the Lord said unto Abraham, Where shall, wherefore did Sarah laugh? Sarah laughed within her, in herself. He was, she was, she was lectured. Is there anything hard for the Lord? Is there anything too difficult? The time appointed, I will return to thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. She laughed about it. Now she's getting lectured about it. She needed to hear the truth. Dear friend, we need to be reminded on a constant, pace, on a constant basis that the Lord speaks whatever he says will come true. What he, if he says it, it's going to come true. We live in days that are going to get darker and darker and darker. And people will say, people are questioning. I hear it more than I probably ever heard about the questioning of the rapture of the church. Is Jesus actually coming now? Well, you know what? I think he might come midway. I think he might come afterwards. Or maybe he won't come at all. And that's exactly what the Bible said it was going to happen. People are going to look around and say, well, man, how, how bad things can be. But don't you realize if you look at the history of the world, things have gotten way worse than they are right now in the history of the world? I mean, think about the time of Hitler, folks. Think about the, the times of the plagues during the Dark Ages. Think about all the history of the world and the, the difficulties of, of life. I know things aren't great. I know inflation isn't wonderful. Our leadership isn't uh, superb. But, dear friend, we have the freedom still to preach the word of God. We, we still live in the greatest country of the world. We have much to be thankful for. As far as I can tell, everybody in this place has a space to stay at night. As far as I can tell, everyone in this room is eating pretty well still. Amen? We have much to be thankful for. Much to be thankful for. Let us not start questioning God and saying, and saying well, it's just too hard for God to do that. No, it's not too hard. Nothing's too hard for him. 
Then she denied him. She lied. Sarah denied, saying, I, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Oh, Sarah, she was afraid. So much happens in life because of unbelief. Unbelief, just simply not believing what God says. But God always has the laugh, last laugh. We see the serving of Abraham, the son for Abraham, but the secret for Abraham. It says in verse 16, the men arose from thence and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. The Lord wanted to, because he trusted Abraham, because he knew Abraham, his character, he wanted to share something, something special with Abraham. He was cleared in his public life. It says in verse 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that which I, which I do, saying that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. In his public life, he was pristine. But not only in his public life, in his private life. He says, I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep him the, keep the way of the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, the Bible says in Psalm 25, verse 14. He was pristine in his outward appearance in public and also in his private. And that's the way all of us should be. In our private life, by the grace of God, we should live for Christ. In our public life, we should live for Christ. Whether it be the private, whether it be the public, we should all live for Christ. And everywhere we do, everywhere we live, everywhere we are, we should live for him. Abraham's private life and public life were commendable. We see the clearing of the secrets, but the contents of the secret. It says in verse 20, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grievous. There's something that we don't quite understand, that the sins of a people actually cry out to God. Wow. That kind of makes out sense. Remember it talked about how Cain and Abel, and how Cain's blood cried out from the Abel's blood cried out from the ground. There's something about iniquity or sin that God, see, God senses or knows or, or cries out uh, to, be, to be judged. Think about the cry of sin from New York City tonight. Oh. Think about the cry of the sin in L.A. or Los Angeles. Think about the cry in Washington, D.C., the cry. Oh, it ain't quiet. It's a scream. Boy, I just, I can't, I, it's past me. I'm, <laughs> it's past my understanding. It's past me fathoming, fathoming the, the long-suffering of God, how he delays his judgment on this nation. Wow. What was their sin? Was their sin primarily, as we know, was sodomy. It was homosexualism. Sodom. Bible says, giving themselves, Sodom in Jude chapter 1 and verse 7, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange sex, strange flesh. This is a physical relationship between the same sex. We see the character of Sodom, but the checking in on Sodom. I will go down, the angel says, and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. They wanted to go, he, they heard the cry of this city, the, the wickedness of the sin, and, and so the angel of the Lord goes down and says, I want to, I want to check it out for myself. I've, I've heard it. I want to see it. Before they did, of course, they went to Abraham. And there was going to be the condemnation on the sin. The sin was going, to be, was going to be dealt with. All sin ultimately will be dealt with. All sin ultimately will be dealt with. All sin ultimately will be dealt with. It's either we, our sin will be dealt with by the cross 
Because Jesus Christ died for, died for our sins and we trust in him and we're saved by the blood of the crucified one. Or we will pay for our sins forever in hell. Some, someone, something always takes care of the sin. Either we have to take care of it by paying for it in hell or Christ takes care of it for of us. The choice is ours. Someone has said if, if, if God does not do something to the United States soon because of the homosexuality, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, and I think that's true. When a, when, a nat- when, a, when a nation, when a city gets to militant homosexuality, that is the time when God is preparing to judge his people. And we are getting closer and closer and closer to that which is society, in our society. It used to be, and you, most of you folks who are a lot older than me, or some older than me, excuse me, Used to think folks didn't even, people didn't even whisper about this kind of stuff. Now you can't, hey, you can't turn on TV and see it now. You just can't turn on TV. You turn on TV and say, oh, you see it every once in a while, and it was a shameful thing, and you turn the TV off, and you you almost swore you'd never see it again. Now you just about can't watch any TV show that has it on it. They have to have the queer. They have to have the lesbian. They have to have it. And sad things, even, even Christian folks, a lot of Christian folks, I know Christian parents right now who have, who have kids that are not what they should be, and they don't condemn it because they're related to it. And I'm not saying you don't love your child. You always love your child, but you should still say it's wrong. Dear friend, it's wrong if it's wrong no matter who does it. It's still wrong. It's still wrong. You see, the servant by Abraham, the son, Abraham, the secret for Abraham, and the supplication by Abraham. The closeness for his supplication, Abraham drew near and, and said. He wanted to know more about this. Verse 23, we see more about what he says here. He drew near and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Oh, what a wonderful verse. Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 10, when it goeth well with the righteous, the city or nation rejoiceth. This is one of the reasons why we believe in the pre-trib rapture. We do not believe that God will destroy the righteous with the wicked. We believe the Lord will take us out before the tribulation starts. Just like he took out, took out Lot and, and his wife and two daughters before the destruction. Just like Noah had the opportunity with his wife and, and three sons and, and three and three daughters-in-law to, 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 to lead before the destruction. We believe that the Lord will rapture the church before the tribulation starts. We believe that. We teach that. By the grace of God, we look forward to that. What are some characteristics of his supplication? Well, he prayed humbly. He says in verse 27, I am but dust in ashes. Dear friend, when we come before God, we always should come humbly before God. We don't boast of who we are. We don't brag of what we've got. We come humbly in, 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 in the spirit of supplication, the attitude of gratitude and thankfulness, and just, and just the opportunity to, to, to bow before the creator of all the universe and lift up our voice in prayer. We pray respectfully. He's the judge of all earth. God is not, God is not the old man upstairs. God is not the big daddy. He's not the... The cosmic hero. He's God. He's Jehovah. The scribes, man, 
oh, I wish I could go into it, had the time to go into it. How when they, when they pinned the names of the Jehovah, sometimes they would, they, would, they would take a new pen and write it. Sometimes they would take a, a bath and, and clean themselves before they would write in the names of, names of God. It was, a, it was a holy thing. It was a special thing. It was a, it was a, it was a pure thing. Now, he's just the man upstairs. He's just my old buddy. He's like my old pal. No, dear friend, God is holy. Parents, don't let your kids speak with words about God that's irreverent. Don't let them do that. Uh, well, what, it, 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 bo- it bothers me. Does it bother you when people walk around saying, Jesus Christ? It bothers me when they use God's name in vain. It should cause us to cringe. I know it's, it's normal, but just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right. It's not right. It's not right. He prayed humbly. He prayed respectfully. He prayed resolutely. The men towards, went towards Sodom, verse 22, but Abraham stood bef- yet before the Lord. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give up. He wouldn't quit. He stayed resolute. He prayed all the way through. He went through the whole thing with, with them. He began with 50, then 45, then 40, then 30, then 20, then 10. He continued to pray to the very end. I think a lot of times we stop and pray and stop in our prayer because we get discouraged. We pray one time, Lord, would, we, would you please help my so-and-so? We pray one time and think God's going to do it, and it's okay, I'm done with it. Well, dear friend, when you were a kid asking your mom for, or dad for something at Christmas time for Santa Claus to go get it because you still believe in Santa Claus, you asked more than one time, didn't you? Well, sure you did. You were, you were, talking, you were leaving little notes. You were putting stuff in the refrigerator. You were hiding. You were, you were trying to make little messages on the table. You were doing anything and everything to get that bike, to get that doll. You was asking. You was begging. You was pleading. Why don't we do the same today? People pray one or two times and say, well, God didn't hear me. No, maybe he wants you to keep on praying. He wants you to keep on praying. Do you have the faith to believe that he can? He kept on. He prayed successfully. Each time Abraham stated his supplication, the number of righteous, God agreed to accommodate his number. We see the, cessa- the cessation of the supplication, the end of it. He said, I will speak once, but, one, this, but, but this once, pure venture, ten shall be found. And, and he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. Verse 32. Now why for ten's sake? Because Abraham reasoned, okay, there's Lot and his wife. There are two, the two daughters that weren't married. Two daughters that were married, their sons-in-law, and the Bible says in chapter 19, verse 14, and their sons, that at least means two. So just in Lot's family, there were ten people. Lot thought, Abraham thought to himself, surely, surely, Abraham, I mean Lot, would, would save his own people, his own family. But he didn't. He didn't. And that's why judgment came. Said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake, but there wasn't ten righteous in all of Sodom. It's a sad thing. It's a sad situation. We see a man, though he didn't recognize it at, the, at this moment, he was still willing to pray for this dear person named Lot, which he loved, which he probably figured was going astray, but he loved him enough to pray for him anyway. Who is that person in your life that you're praying for them? You're interceding for them. 
There's many a person, maybe probably in this room tonight, that would not be here if it wasn't for a grandma praying for you. If it wasn't for a dad or a wife or a friend or a neighbor or a preacher or a deacon or somebody praying for you, you would not be here tonight. Let me ask you a question. Who are you praying for? Who are you interceding for? Who are you getting down on your hands and knees for? Not just one day, but every day. There's people I'm going to pray for the salvation of their souls until God takes them home or until God takes me home. I'm going to pray for them by the grace of God, and I try to pray for them by name every day of my life. How about who's those people in your life? Who's those people in your life right now that you know if they, you believe right now without a shadow of a doubt, if they died, if they dropped dead, that right now they'd be in hell the next second? Who are those people in your life you're praying for? Who's those people who are sick? Who's those marriages that are suffering right now that you know they're struggling, they're hanging on by a hair's breadth? Who are you interceding for? Who are you staying up at night and begging for? Who are you shedding tears for? The Bible says, Philippians chapter 4, Brother Pete read these words. I'll read them again. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known, be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I read the story this afternoon of a preacher, a blind preacher by the name of William Bradbury. Bradbury. He wrote, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from the world of care. And bids me at the Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. And often escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I, cons- oh my, may I thy consolation share. Till from Mount Pisgah's lofty height I view my home and take my flight. This robe of flesh shall drop and rise to seize that everlasting prize, and shout while passing through the air, farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Old Brother Norman and Miss Nellie will never pray ever again. Their prayer time is over. How about your prayer time? Who are you praying for? Preacher, I don't pray. Now's the time. Now's the time to start praying. Now's the time to start praying. The greatest weapon, but the least used weapon, the Christian has in his arsenal is prayer. Are you praying for somebody today? Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for Abraham's faith in God to pray for his nephew, Lot, and family. And though he didn't know all their circumstances and sadly the judgment would fall, he still prayed. Ours is not to be so much concerned about the outcome, but to simply do what we're asked to do, and that is to pray. I can't, no one can change a person's fate. Can't make a blind man see. I can't make someone who's sick well, but we, I know a man who can. We can go to God And God, who is the God of impossible, can do beyond what we can believe. Help us, Lord Jesus, to have faith and pray. Maybe with head bowed, eyes closed, maybe someone would say, Dear preacher, I've been struggling with my prayer life. I know there's needs. I know there's folks around me that are not saved. I know there's 
people whose marriages are struggling, even in this church. I know there's people with great financial issues, but I don't pray the way I should. I admit that tonight, and I need, by the grace of God, to, to follow the example of Abraham and pray that the Lord Jesus would intercede in people's lives and touch their life and help them and change them so they would be different. See, preacher, that's me tonight. I needed this tonight. I needed to be reminded of, of, of praying and, 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 and praying that people would change and, and for the lives, maybe specifically, of people around me. Would you pray for me that I would do those things? Anybody like that this evening? Amen. Amen. We all struggle. Amen. Someone else, preacher, I'm, I, I struggle in this area. I falter in this area. I want to pray, but I don't pray. Maybe you used to pray. Maybe you got discouraged. Maybe for whatever reason, God didn't answer your prayer and you quit praying. Oh, dear friend, don't give up faith. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes the no is the answer. Sometimes he says wait. Remember, his way is higher than our way. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. Do you still trust him? Preacher, I'm struggling in this area of prayer. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody else? Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Dear friend, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd be in heaven? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as the one, the only one who can save your soul? For he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Do you know that you know that you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Oh, dear friend, the most important decision in life is not coming to this church. It's not having a good job. It's not who you marry, how many kids you are, what's your bank account, how many numbers are in your bank account. It's knowing Christ is your Savior, dear friend. With Christ, you have everything, but without Christ, you have nothing. You literally have nothing. Oh, you're here tonight and you don't know Christ. Preacher, would you pray for me? I won't, I won't point you out, but I'd love to pray for you. I don't know Jesus, but I need to know Jesus. I want to go to heaven when I die. Anybody like that tonight? Anybody at all? Raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you. Anybody at all? Let's stand to our feet. If you'd like to come to this altar and pray. <laughs> Maybe there's a need you have. Maybe there's a need for some, that someone in your life that you know who needs prayer. Would you come and pray? Or maybe you need Christ. Would you come? If you're a man, you can see Brother Clayton. If you're a woman, you can see my wife. Whatever the need is tonight, would you do business with God? As the piano plays, as the piano plays, what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do?